Open them with me to the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Amen. I'm excited about the sermon this morning, so let me say that in the beginning, but also um, the sermon this morning is, is a bit different. Um, uh, maybe a little heaviness to it. I believe the Lord's going to help us lighten it where it needs to be lightened. Um, but also, amen, we need the strong meat of the Word. We're thankful for milk, and milk helps us as, as babies. I'm, I'm watching my grandson uh, grow from the milk that Bethany's providing for him. And, and, um, but he won't always be on milk. There'll come a day when he'll graduate from the milk into the stronger meat. Amen. And because so many people are reluctant to make that transition, um, it keeps them in a, in a state of, of immaturity. And um, we've said it before, we'll say it again. It's a lot easier to prepare, serve, ingest and digest a milk-based meal than it is to prepare, serve, eat, ingest and digest a meat-based meal. It requires more time, requires more effort on both the one preparing and the one receiving. Amen. But the meat is what we need. Amen. Amen. Jesus didn't come to hurt us. He came to help us. He didn't come to um, condemn us. He came to save us. But one of the things that we need to understand is that in order for him to help us, he's going to have to make us a little bit uncomfortable. Amen. He's going to try to get us to face some things that we don't want to face, to deal with some things that, that we'd rather not deal with, to, to address some things that, that we'd rather just keep hidden beneath the surface. And so this isn't some God putting you through some miserable experience. That's, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's religion, that's the, that's the enemy, and that's not our Heavenly Father. But there are things that, that Jesus exposes in our lives, the light exposes the hidden things of darkness. And, um, and the Bible says that folks react to that one of two ways. They either run to the light, even though it's uncomfortable, there's a purification that takes place in us when things are brought to the light. Amen. In other words, the, only the light can, can do what the light does for us capital L-I-G-H-T. But then the Bible also says in John the third chapter that other people, they run from the light because the light makes them uncomfortable. And they don't, they don't want the light exposing things in their lives that need to change. And so they run from the light instead of to the light. Now, if you'll think about that for a moment, there's discomfort associated with both responses. There's the temporary discomfort of the light of God's truth and love exposing things in our lives that need to be dealt with. There's a temporary discomfort there, but then the Bible talks about it producing the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which leads to long-term, not discomfort, but delight. 
okay? But the other response, rather than, than coming to the light and dealing with the discomfort that comes from things in our lives being exposed, we avoid that discomfort and run from the light. So there we get a temporal relief, but become trapped in long-term misery. So notice, either, either way, there's going to be the discomfort, the temporary discomfort of the light exposing, and then God cleansing, right? And then the long-term peaceable fruit of righteousness. Or the temporary relief that comes from avoiding, not facing, not wanting to deal with. But that temporary relief leads to the long-term pain of unresolved issues and unmet needs in our lives. So I think we ought to choose the light. I, th I think we ought to run to the light. The one thing we need is the light, but when we're in darkness, that's the one thing that we have the tendency to avoid the most. But again, the light's not there to hurt you. The light has come to help you. Amen. And here's the thing, all, all this stuff that I think and maybe you think you're hiding, he knows about it already. He's, and he's not mad at you, he loves you. Matter of fact, it's, it's affecting him as much as it's affecting you because he hates to see you suffer needlessly with things that he can help you correct and fix and grow beyond. Amen. All right, so with all that in mind, let's begin in Mark chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse number one. Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that by such mighty works are performed, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now, I want to point it out to you again, it's on the screen, but I want to point it out to you that in verse number two, it ends with uh, two sentences. The first one um, ends with a question mark. Where did this man get these things? Um, in other words, they, they were amazed by what Jesus was saying. They, they, they were like, you know, where did this come from? You know, I mean, they, remember, he had spent 30 years with them as a carpenter. He, 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 this, all this talk about, you know, Jesus performing miracles as a child and all that, none of that is true. The first miracle in, in his earthly ministry began when he turned 30, um, born under the law. It was a, it was a requirement of the, the law that he was born under, that he not begin a public ministry until he was 30 years old. At 30 years old, he was baptized in water. He was baptized in the Spirit. He went into the wilderness to be tempted um, for you and for me because he's our stand-in, our substitute. And then he returned from that experience, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit. And so the folks at Nazareth had never seen Jesus as they saw him on this day. They were amazed. They were astonished. They had heard rumor about what had happened in other parts of Galilee. But now they were experiencing it and seeing it for themselves. And so it created a question. Where in the world did somebody like Jesus from a place like Nazareth get these things. Well, the reality of it is, and, and notice the Bible says our own words, either our own words will justify us or our own words will condemn us. And notice what they're saying. If, 
if, if he didn't get those things from Nazareth, if he didn't get those things from his upbringing, if he didn't get those things from other people, then he must have got them from heaven. In other words, if there's no place on earth that they can put their hands on and say, this is where he got these things, then notice their own words. It's like when they stand before God one day to be judged, he'll like, he'll like say, your response on that day was what he was saying didn't come from himself. What he was saying didn't come from other people. So the only conclusion was that it came from heaven. But the next one, and this was a real revelation for me a week or two ago. Um, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Again, if you've got your Bible open, that's fine, but also on the screen. Notice that doesn't end with a question mark. That ends with an exclamation point. I've always thought this was just another question, that they were questioning. But they're actually exclaiming. They're, they're actually saying. Wisdom is about results. Remember this, anytime we talk about wisdom, um, as it differs from knowledge or understanding, is wisdom is talking about some practical application of a principle that has produced a tangible, measurable, verifiable result. And so again, Jesus is producing results that they're not questioning whether or not the results are occurring, happening, because clearly they are. It's undeniable. The people that hated Jesus and ultimately you know, had him executed never denied um, his ability to speak. Remember, they said no man spoke, ever spoke like this man. His enemies are saying this. And his enemies are also confirming that, you know, the miracles that Jesus is performing are genuine, legitimate. Of course, they then question the source of the miracles, not the legitimacy of the miracles, but they said, well, these miracles aren't coming from God because God's clearly not with this man, so it must be coming from Beelzebub or the devil. So again, these folks are not questioning whether or not hometown boy raised among them for 30 years, carpenter, tradesman, laborer, they're not questioning whether or not he's doing these things. They're just, they're, they're exclaiming that he's doing them, but the exclamation is like, you know, again, um, <laughs> what wisdom is this that he's able to do this? Um, and so it ends again in the exclamation point. Let's keep reading. Verse number three. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Again, his, uh, his biological mother and his biological half-brothers and sisters, and are not his sisters here with us. There's that phrase we're going to spend a little time on today. So they were offended at him. They were offended at him. We'll come back to that. Verse 4, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Let's go back to that verse. I apologize. Um, one thing I want to comment again, just to remind you, we're talking about giving the Lord the place he deserves in our lives. You can't have the place in our homes that we want him to have unless he has the place in our hearts that he needs to have. Can't have his place in this church unless he has the place in our homes, right? And how can he have the place that we want him to have in our country if he doesn't have the place that he deserves in the church that is contained within that country? Amen. And so this word honor, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In other words, amongst his own 
hometown people, the people that he grew up with, there's no honor. But again, that word honor is a give him place word. It's, a, it's, it's speaking of recognizing who he is and treating him appropriately or treating him in agreement with that. Okay, let's keep going now. Verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there, so their response to him limited his ability. Their response to him limited his ability. The Lord spoke to me end of last year. He said, my children are wanting me to do things in their lives that they haven't given me place to do. Here we see that in Scripture. There were people in Nazareth that were in need. And Jesus went to do there what he had done other places. But because they refused to give him place, he was unable. It doesn't say unwilling. It, it, it didn't say he would not do any mighty work there. It says he could not. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So there's some other things that we'll talk about in the days to come. But this morning I want to go back to that one phrase. They were offended at him. They were offended at him. I think the question that we need to answer this morning is why? Why were they offended? Now, it's a given. If the Bible says they were offended, they were offended. And of course, if we were to keep reading, especially if we were to read this in other gospel accounts, we'll see that offended is stating it mildly. Um, they literally grabbed him, seized him, and tried to throw him over a cliff and kill him. So this wasn't just like, you know, Jesus hurt my feelings. You know, this was like, man, they're like ready to like eliminate him like Cain eliminated Abel. They're, they're, they're ready to, to end him. Um, and again, this was somebody that, that grew up among them that they knew and, and I believe loved. I mean, how could you not love him? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Um, but notice how quickly they turned on him. So, when we say they were offended at him, this doesn't just mean that they got a little upset with him, and, and, but they got over it, you know. Well, he, you know, he hurt our feelings, but, you know, we're, gonna, we're just going to move on. We give him the benefit of the doubt. No, no, none of that. When it says they were offended, they were ready to throw him overboard. Now, again, I, I, I came with the intentions from last week to talk about some different things this morning, but I really feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to explore this today, to talk about this today. In greater Galilee, other places in Galilee, other cities in Galilee, we see that Jesus was glorified by all, but in his hometown, they were offended at him. Offended is the opposite of glorify. And the reason this is important is we've already established, for those of you who are new to the study, all these sermons are free. You can access them at hccnow.org or we'll even get you a hard copy if you need it. It's not trying to sell you anything. It won't cost you anything. It'll only cost you the time, amen, that you'd need to invest. But you can get caught up on all this. So I'm not trying to mention something we've talked about in the past to leave some of you out, but I do want you to 
understand that there's a lot of this that we've already covered just for sake of time. It's hard to go back and, and try to thoroughly repeat it all. But that word glorify, he was glorified by all, is another word that accurately defines this concept of giving him the place that he deserves in your life. When it says he was glorified by all, this means that they gave him that place of honor, that place of dignity, that place of esteem. And because they gave him that place of honor, dignity, and esteem, he was able to do all kinds of mighty miracles and works among them, even raising the dead, casting out demons. So again, to the casual observer, we would think Jesus did miracles and the people glorified him. But it's not that they glorified him because he did miracles. He was able to do miracles because they glorified him. They gave him the place, and because they gave him the place, he was able to do that. Now, these two accounts are situated adjacent to one another, next to one another in Scripture. I believe for folks like me and you to make the comparison how he was received, how he was responded to, and the results he was able to produce in greater Galilee versus how he was received, how he was responded to, and the results or lack thereof that he was able to produce in Nazareth. So I'm offering to you this morning that offended is the opposite of glorify. And because glorify accurately defines what it means to give Jesus place in your life, being offended is connected to our not giving Him. Or I'll, I'll even go so far as to say this, and I believe this is, is true from the Holy Spirit of God, that the reason we don't give Him the place that He deserves is because we are offended by Him or at Him ourselves. So this brings me then to, it's really one question, it's just phrased different ways. Are you offended by Jesus? Are you offended at Him? Let me just, let me even say it a little more plain than that. Does He offend you? Does He offend you? Now, let's, let's dial a few things in here, okay? We have a tendency to lump a lot of things together. I'm not asking you if he embarrasses you. I'm not asking you if you are ashamed of him. Now, the Bible talks about that, and there are people who are embarrassed. They're ashamed. They, they're believers, but they don't want anybody to know it. They, they don't tell anybody. They don't speak up in a crowd and, and these kinds of things. And, and, and that's a problem. Don't misunderstand me. That's a real problem. And I'm not saying that it's related, but I don't want you to think that, that being offended of him or being offended by him is the same thing as being embarrassed or being ashamed uh, to talk about him publicly or, or to share your, your faith or, or, or you know, your beliefs or what have you. Again, so the question is, are you offended at Jesus or does Jesus offend you? I think most people, especially most church-going people, most believers, would be quick to answer no. I don't know if you answered those questions already in, in your heart and mind. Um... Somebody might even say, I'm offended that you would ask. 
right? Offended that you would even suggest such a thing. Well, easy now, right? Most people are quick to answer no, but I believe the Holy Spirit is asking us to look a little closer this morning. First of all, we see in the Scripture that Jesus' own family was offended at Him. Some would disagree with this, but I think there's a pretty strong case in Scripture that John the Baptist, in a really dark and difficult time in his life, that he was offended at Jesus. All the disciples at one point in time or another were offended at Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus even told them to warn them. He said, listen, all of you are going to be offended because of me this night. We certainly see in Mark the 6th chapter, Luke the 4th chapter, other places where the people that Jesus grew up with were offended at Him. So it'd be very easy for us to just quickly say, no, next sermon. But I think, again, we need to look a little closer. To the casual observer, the response at Nazareth seems extreme. But this response is much more common than many understand. We may not physically throw Jesus over a cliff, but there are many things about Him and many things that He says to us that we do toss aside. That are offensive to us. Some people are offended by the claim that he makes over their lives. The, let, me, let me try to give you like an expression that would sometimes either be in our minds or even come out of our mouths when we're offended in the way that this word means. Who does he think he is? Right? One of your coworkers tells you you've got to work four hours extra tomorrow. Who does he think he is? We're talking about this in class this morning. Who said I gotta work four hours, right? In other words, you're not the boss of me. So this idea of actually, you know, grabbing him, dragging him out to the brink, you know, out to the, you know, outskirts of town where there's a high cliff and throwing him off. Well, you know, no, but again, many things about him and things that he says that we toss aside because, again, he offends us. We're offended by those things. Now, offended is the opposite of giving him place. Offended at him 
is always the reason. And I, I know this is strong. I'm just asking you to keep an open heart, open mind, and let the Holy Spirit confirm the word to you this morning. But offended at Him is always the reason why people do not give Jesus the place He deserves in their lives. Again, remember what He said. My people are wanting me to do things in their lives that they have not given me the place to do. This whole first part of 2019 on Sundays while we're together, the Holy Spirit has been breathing on this. He's, he's wanting us to, to deal with, He's wanting us to recognize that, that we are not giving the Lord the place He deserves in our individual lives, in our families, and in this family of faith. You say, well, you know... Sounds like you're just hard on us, Pastor Mark. Like, no, 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 please, again. The reason that he's wanting to help us become aware of this and help us correct this is because of how it's limiting his ability to do what he so desperately desires to do in our individual lives, in our families, and in our family of faith. Amen, oh me, or I'll think about it, but I'm telling you that this is... Oh, praise God. Amen. Let me just keep plowing this morning. You all right? Offended is the opposite of giving him place. If, if offense and being offended at him is the opposite of glorifying him, and glorifying him is, is one of the more accurate, ex extensive, exhaustive definitions of what it means to give him place, and we see that these two responses are opposed to one another, then offended at Him is always the reason why people do not give Jesus the place He deserves in their lives. Could we just be honest about it? We don't think He deserves that place. We don't think that He has the right to say that or do that or act that way where we're concerned. We, we do what we want and then, you know, when, when we need Him, we'll go get Him out of the barn, you know, where they put Him at His birth. Um, and then when we're done with Him, we'll go, you know, we'll brush Him out and dry Him off, but we'll put Him up. That was the place they gave Jesus when he was born. And it's more than just a crowded hotel. It's symbolic. Now, again, this is not immediately obvious, but it's true. If we are not giving him the place he deserves, it's because we are offended at him on some level. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us identify the offense. I'm not going to go back over all the points that we've made so far and show you how this works, but remember, we said to glorify means an unsolicited outward expression from an inward opinion of the heart. It's something that's voluntarily given. It's, it's something that is, is uh, it begins inwardly and is then expressed outwardly. It's, it's not like you're handed a list when you walk in, in the door and say, do this, this, that, and that, and, um, and then we'll call it a day. No, it's, it's something that, that springs forth. That word unsolicited means it's not asked for or demanded, but it's something given or done voluntarily. So unsolicited outward expressions from an inward opinion of the heart. That's what it means to glorify. Guess what? Offended is the same thing. That's also an unsolicited outward expression of a different inward opinion of the heart. In other words, people do what they do in truly glorifying God 
because it springs forth from an inward affection. It's, an affection is, um, is a desire that produces emotion. The Bible says that you're not limited by God's word. You're not limited by God and, and God's not trying to limit you and, and the devil can't limit you, but that we're limited by our own affections, our own desires and strong desires, desires so strong that they affect us, they impact us emotionally, they generate, they, 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 they arouse emotions in, in our lives. So when we talk about like genuinely glorifying God, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's wrong to do it. Matter of fact, I, it's right to do it. There are times when Matthew is leading us in worship. Thank you for doing it. Please keep doing it. But he'll say, let's all lift our hands. He shouldn't have to be always say, let's all lift our hands. Matter of fact, he's just trying to plant a seed that maybe if everybody lifts their hands, you'll lift yours and you'll realize, Shazam, I ought to be doing this more often. Are you following what I'm saying? But this idea that we have to be told every time what to do, when to do it, how to do it, that's not an unsolicited response. There are times I'll be so full of joy and excitement, just worshiping God, praying, whatever. I'll walk in Home Depot with my hands up in the air. And I'll go, oh man, these people probably think I've lost my mind, right? It's not that I was listening to something and Matt said, everybody raise your hands. Oh, okay, yeah, he might be watching, you know. No, you see, it's unsolicited. It's, it's, it's something that, that, that begins with this affection in my heart that's producing emotions in me that I want to express some way out of me. Amen. That's glorifying him. That's giving him place, not because if we don't give him place, Pastor Mark's not ever going to preach on anything else. No, it's, it's something that comes from inside of us and is reflected outwardly. But here's the thing. Offense works the same way. It works the same way. Where we don't have the right opinion, where we don't have the, the right affection. We, we haven't given him the, the, the place in our thoughts and in our minds and in our time and in our talent and our treasure, what have you. See, it works the same way. That's also unsolicited outward expressions of an inward opinion of the heart. Here's the bottom line, okay? And, and, the sooner we come to this conclusion, I think the better we are, the better off we are. And these are some terms that we'll continue to develop uh, throughout the day today. But the bottom line is Jesus is either precious to you or he's offensive to you. He's either precious to you and, and you're thankful for him or he's offensive to you. And, and in many ways, he, he is irritating to you. Now, do not be fooled into thinking that he is both or neither. Because he is one or the other. I got to say all that again, all right? Jesus is either precious or he's offensive. Don't be fooled into thinking that he's both at the same time to you 
or that he's neither. You're not afforded that option. Jesus clearly said, right? We, we live in a world that, that is constantly trying to blur the lines between right and wrong, what's right, what's wrong, what's, you know, and create from the definitive, uh, you know, lines, this gray zone somewhere in the middle. And Jesus just, I mean, he landed in the middle of the gray zone and eliminated it when he came to this earth. And people are offended by that. See, we, we, we think that Jesus preached this message of, of inclusion and tolerance, and he did not, my friend. He absolutely did not. And it's offensive to a lot of people. And so we're called narrow-minded because we don't believe there's many gods and many ways to heaven. No, no. I mean, it's, again, Jesus said only one way and it's Him. It's offensive to a lot of people. You follow me? So I don't, I'm going to go too far down that road right now. Save that for later. So Jesus is either precious or he is offensive. Do not be fooled into thinking he is both or neither because the devil would love to try to deceive you in that way. Because he is one or the other. When all the people filed into the synagogue that day in Nazareth. I'm sure they had on their Saturday best. I'm sure that they all were speaking their pleasantries and their cliches and their biblical greetings to one another. And, and I would say that the general air among them was kind of a wait and see type of a thing. But but it wasn't like they were waiting for Jesus to walk in the door and they pounced on him. They were going to hear him out. So on the surface, it all seemed civil. On the, on the surface, it, it, I mean, there were whisperings and murmurings, I think, long before he left Greater Galilee to come back to his hometown. There were people, I'm sure, that, you know, around the water cooler, so to speak, and local restaurants, there was no small stir about him. It's what the Bible says in that whole region as far, as far away as Jerusalem and the other side of Jordan. So there's no way that that stir wasn't being experienced in the hometown there of um, Nazareth. I mean, kind of think about it, some of you that, especially if you follow college football, you know, when Jameis Winston from Hueytown, Alabama wins the Heisman Trophy, right? I mean, it's, you may not even know him or his family or anything about him, right? But, um, you know, certainly the, the news of someone being recognized in that way would have made it back, even in their day, it would have made it back to the hometown there. And so even when they're saying the things that they're saying, amazed, Where does he get these things? What wisdom is this? All of that 
is presenting this facade, this false front, and Jesus, as he begins to talk with them, remember what Simeon the prophet said, that Jesus would bring to light, he would reveal the thoughts of many hearts. He would expose the opinions held by many people, revealing to them, revealing to those people what were in their individual hearts. Turn with me, and um, I, I don't have these verses in my notes, but I just am feeling prompted. Uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. Turn there with me, please, quickly, and we'll, and we'll finish right here this morning. Are you getting anything out of this? Does Jesus offend you? Don't answer out loud, just amen. Is it possible that there are some things that He's instructed you to do that you just are not thankful for, you don't appreciate? Amen. All right, let's go now to Exodus chapter 20. Let's begin at verse 18. Some of you are going to recognize these verses. We taught on them a few years ago. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not, let not God speak with us, lest we die. All right, now, what's going on here? God just miraculously brought His people out of slavery in Egypt. And he drowned the Egyptian army, their tormentors, in the Red Sea when they tried to follow them through that, that canyon of water on dry ground through the Red Sea. All of God's people came out the other side. The Egyptians tried to chase them through the middle and, and God drowned their tormentors right there in front of them. He was, God is basically saying... They'll never torment you again. They'll never torture you again. It's over, right? I mean, it wasn't basically what he was saying. It was exactly what he was saying. And so now God comes to visit with the people that he loves, his chosen people, descendants of Abraham. And he comes and he rests on top of a mountain. Now, you know, we're talking about the source of power that creates, that created and sustains the universe. So it's, it's power on a scale that's unimaginable to us. And, and so you would kind of maybe expect, um, you know, for this God who comes, you know, our Father God who comes and sits on that mountain, for there to be some type of reaction. And there was. I mean, the mountain was literally melting. It was, you know, I mean, this lightning flashes and smoke. I mean, heaven was invading earth. And God was wanting to speak to these people that he loved so much. Think now, God coming to Adam 
in the cool of the evening and conversing with Adam. It's this same heart of a father who wants to be with his children, who wants to communicate with his children, who wants to express his love and affection and instruction and wisdom to his children. So God comes to to have this experience, this encounter with them. And the people reeled back in fear. And this is what they said to Moses. They said, Moses, hold, hold on just a second. Tell him to cut that out. And listen, this is how we want this to work from now on. If God wants to speak to us, let him speak to you. And then if you think there's anything we need to hear, you tell us but tell him not to speak directly to us ever again. Notice what they're saying. We want his food. We want his water. We want his help. We want his guidance. We want him to warm us and, 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 and illuminate us during the night in the desert. And we want him to put a cloud over us and keep us cool and direct us in the desert during the daytime. But we want to keep him at an arm's distance. We, we don't want him getting that close to us ever again. We don't want any kind of intimacy or oneness or, or any kind of fellowship with him like that. And so you communicate that to him for us if you would please. Now notice what was going on here. They said what? Him speaking to us could very well kill us. Think about that for a minute now. I know I don't have it up on the screen to point it out again. But let not, let not God speak with us lest we die. I got everybody's attention for the next two minutes. I'll finish in two minutes. Okay, I know I'm out of time. What are they, what are they saying? Him speaking to us is making us so uncomfortable we think it might actually kill us. Now, the entrance of His words bring light. His words are spirit and life, truth, but also life. So notice, He's brought truth to them. He's brought light to them. And he's brought life to them. His words aren't going to kill them. His words are going to help them. His words are going to infuse them with life and strength and wisdom and light and understanding. But see, they still got golden calves inside of them. They don't know them golden calves are there, but them golden calves are still inside of them, right? So now all of a sudden, the true and living God is coming before them and all this junk that they've carried with them out of Egypt. I'm not talking about the blessing and prosperity of God in their pockets. I'm talking about the hidden things of the heart. Now that God has come to deal with those hidden things of the heart, by just simply speaking to them and speaking life and, and, and truth to them, notice their response is they have become what? Offended. Do you see this? They become offended. We don't want to hear it, God. What you're telling us is making us uncomfortable and we don't want to hear it because if we hear it we're going to have to deal with it and we don't want to deal with it we just want to get to this good place that you said you have for us but we're not here to deal with any of our 
idolatry. We're not here to deal with anything that we've put before you. We're not here to deal with any wrong mindsets or thinking that we've adapted while we were in Egypt. Not, we're not any of that. No, 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 no. You just leave all that alone. That's, that's us. That's ours. I'll, I, it, you know, um, this is who I am. Right? Blah, blah, blah. All these things we hear in the world today. Amen. Singers and musicians, would you come, please? Hallelujah. So God goes, uh, he goes on to say through um, uh, Moses, he said, no, no, it's not going to kill you. God's come to test you. Now that doesn't mean what you think it means. What it, what it literally means is, and it's true for them and it's true for you and me. Every time God speaks to you, he's drawing a line in the sand. What is the test? The test is, are you going to listen to him and, and, and do what he says? Or are you going to be offended at him and keep doing what you want to do? See, that's what, that's what they, didn't, they didn't want to, they were, it was making them uncomfortable. They didn't like that. But he didn't come to hurt them. He came to help them. And he hasn't come to hurt you and me. He's come to help us. Amen? You get anything out of this? All right, stand with me this morning. Praise God. If you're able to, please stand to your feet. Understand if you're not. Amen. Now, what we're going to see, look at this tonight, the places in the Scripture, is that the Word of God identifies Jesus as this chief cornerstone. And those who believe and receive Him will be able to build their lives upon Him. But those who respond like those in His hometown of Nazareth, the Bible says that He becomes a rock of offense. And rather than becoming a foundation to build upon, He becomes an obstacle that they keep stumbling over that they keep stumbling over. My youth pastor, when I was a teenager, late teens, Buddy Malloy, he made a statement that sticks with me to this day. He told us as teenagers, he said, you can either view the Word of God as a prison to wall you in or as a fortress to protect you. See, those who are offended at the Word, they view the Word of God as a prison trying to take all the fun out of life, trying to make us boring, trying to keep us from enjoying anything that's good. No, 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 no. It's not a prison to wall you in. It's a fortress to create a safe place where you can grow and learn and thrive and be all that God created you to be. Amen. Fathers, we stand before you this morning. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, this morning that you're not here to hurt us. You're here to help us. And, Father, your great desire this morning is that we wouldn't run from you, but that we would run to you. That we wouldn't run from the light, but we'd run to the light. Going to be a little uncomfortable as your light exposes some things, Father, but that temporary discomfort is going to lead to the peaceable fruit of righteousness, Lord. The good things the victory, Lord, that you have, Lord, for our lives. 
I thank you this morning, Father, that you're showing us areas and places and things in our lives where we've been offended at Jesus. He's offended us and we maybe haven't realized it's gone unnoticed. That's how the enemy works, Father. He tries to blind us to things. But I thank you, Father, that again, you're showing us. You're revealing it to us and you're helping us embrace the things in our lives, Father, that, that you have prepared for us. Truth, Father, that'll remove the lies and the deception and any hint of darkness, any shadow of darkness, any residual things from our days in Egypt, Father. Come into the light. We're coming to the light. And we thank you, Father, this morning for welcoming us with open arms, loving us with an unspeakable, unending, unconditional love. May we find, Lord, that place in you of rest. It's not available anywhere else in anyone else, but it's available in you, Jesus. And so we take your yoke this morning. Come alongside and we learn from you so that we can discover the rest that you've given to us. In Jesus' name.